Isn't it awesome to be loved? Yes. Isn't it awesome to know that you are a beloved child of the Most High God? And He gave you value. He gave you worth. And He sealed the deal by dying on the cross. Shedding holy blood for you and for me. Hallelujah. Oh, we give you glory, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's awesome. He's awesome. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And our core kids are dismissed to their classes. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and verse 1. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Gospel of Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. So. It says, and he said to them, assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Mm. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word, they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it, and how is it, how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the, one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. 
and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. My God and Father, we come to you today. We humble our hearts in your presence this morning. We thank you for these great, great reminders of your love, these great reminders of your grace and power, Lord God, as we sang and worship this morning. We thank you for your presence that has touched our lives. And Lord, we thank you for your inspired word that we are before this morning. And we ask you, God of heaven, to hear, to let our ears be open that we may be able to hear. Enable us, Lord God, to respond to you in faith today, Lord God, glorifying you and all that we do, Lord God. Let us not be idle hearers, but let us be faithful doers of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will make sure that you get an outline. I want to make sure you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. And also, that you're able to answer some questions that are there for you to think through the sermon. And um, hopefully you're utilizing this as a tool to help someone else grow in their faith. Uh, the Bible calls us to make disciples, to be disciple makers. And so this is a tool that we can utilize to help others grow in their faith. So if you're not sure how to help someone grow in their faith, it's simple. You know, you just walk with them, pray with them, encourage them in the word of God. Teach them what you're learning and you'll be able to do that. So just keep your hand up and the ushers will get it to you. Uh, just don't put it down until you have an outline. And also, for those of you that are following along in the Bible Reading Challenge, we are on day 309 of the Bible Reading Challenge. Um, if you can believe it, we are already in November. Some of y'all are excited you got to sleep an extra hour, hopefully. Hopefully. Hello, somebody. You know, some, some of us, and I, I will say us because I'm one of these, you know, you get an extra hour to sleep and you stay up an extra hour late, right? Instead of, you know, you're like, oh, it's only 7.30 right now. Oh, it's only 10.30 right now. Oh, it's only, you know, 1.30 right now. Anyway, um, not a good idea. So, you know, I, I don't get to take advantage of it, you know, so either way, both times at the time changes, I'm tired. So nonetheless, it's all good. Praise the Lord. But all that said, if you can believe it, we are in November, in the month of Thanksgiving and Looking towards Christmas and New Year's, glory to God. So excited about that. Um, so today is 309 of the Bible Reading Challenge. And uh, the, the four chapters that we're reading today is Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 28, Romans chapter 1, and Romans chapter 2. And so those are the four chapters that we're reading. If you're not part of the Bible Reading Challenge yet, I encourage you to jump in right, right where we are now. End the book of Acts with us. Get into the book of Romans. Read through the entire or, or the rest of the New Testament. Uh, before the end of the year, God will definitely edify your life and he'll be glorified to you. If you've been sticking with the Bible reading challenge, um, you know, go on ahead and just stay strong. And if you fell off, listen, it happens, right? You know, sometimes we fall off, we miss a couple of days, we miss a month, you know, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, I got too much to catch up. Listen, jump back in. Amen? Amen. 
All right, so we are in our Jesus Impact series. So we're continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. And today, we're going to be talking about walking in Revelation. Walking in Revelation. And if you look at your outline here, there is no greater need that man has than to experience the revelation of God. There is no greater need that you have. Listen. You may think that you need food right now. I know some of you are hungry. You forgot to eat breakfast, right? Um, you may think that, you know, you need a job. And I'm not denying any of those things, right? You may think that you need water. You may think that you need a home. You, you have those needs are genuine needs. But I want you to know the greatest need that man has is to have the revelation of God in their lives. The greatest thing that man needs to know is his creator. And that way he can be changed. That way he can know, as we sang today, about this great love that God God shows us on the cross. And so that comes through the revelation of Jesus. And so for us, our greatest desire should be to know God, not just to know about God. And so I emphasize this over and over again throughout this series, that as we are in this series, we're not just trying to learn more facts about Jesus. That should happen, I hope. But that's not the end game. That's not the goal of this series. The goal of this series is for us to be able to encounter Jesus. And so as we're looking at the pages of Scripture, as we're reading through these stories, as we're meditating on them, as, as I'm expounding them to you, it is my hope that you will encounter Christ, that you will come to have a better understanding of him, but not just here, but here in your heart, that you'll encounter him. And not only that you will encounter Christ, but that you'll be impacted by him. And as you're impacted by Jesus, then you will also realize that through his revelation, that you're empowered to go out and bring change and impact your community and the culture. The reality is we're talking about Jesus' impact. We're talking about what Jesus can do in a culture. If we're a people that know him and walk with him and serve him and are impacted by him, then the same way that he has impacted our lives is the same way that we can go forth and impact the lives of others. And that should move us in that direction that we would desire to see others being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second paragraph there, too many of us have accepted a less than biblical Christianity. Let me say that again. Too many of us have accepted a less than biblical Christianity. What do I mean by this? Well, when you look at what Jesus has done, when we talked about this last week, we talked about Jesus doing, he, he called his disciples to deny themselves. He said, if you are going to follow me, then you have to deny yourself. And so when I talk about many of us accepting less than biblical Christianity, it lacks complete devotion to Christ, his call to self-denial, and with it, the life he intends for us to live. Understand this, that when you and I commit to Christ, it's not that we just lose a bunch of stuff, we get what he actually has for us. Amen? We don't just lose it. You know, when, when we lay down our lives, for sure, we're going to lose things. We're going to let things go. That's what Jesus talked about last week. But we don't just lose stuff. We gain this life that he desires for us. And what does that life look like? It's a life that is filled with his power. It's a life that is following his commands. And it's a life that is fulfilling his purpose. That's the life that Christ wants us to live. And so if we live the way he desires, that's what's going to happen. We're going to experience his power. We're going to love his commands, and we are going to fulfill his purpose for our lives. Last paragraph here. We must recognize 
that aside from God's divine revelation, we will lack the ability to walk worthy of his calling upon our lives. A couple of years ago, I preached through the book of Ephesians, and that was the title of that series, Walk Worthy. And the book of Ephesians tells us what? To walk worthy of the calling with which we are called with all humility, long-suffering, loving, you know, bearing with one another in love. And so this is what we're called to do. We will never be able to walk worthy of that calling if we don't have the revelation of God. And what happens is the, the reason why we can't walk worthy is because his demands become too much, his standards are too high, and his will is too great. You see, when you try to follow some religious code, when you try to follow some, you know, when, when you try to follow a certain type of program for life, but there's no revelation behind it, it becomes too much. It's just like, you know, some people, they, you know, look in the mirror one day and they're like, man, I'm going on a diet. And they go and they research and they decide, yo, I'm going hardcore and I'm not eating no carbs. And then, you know, next day, like, I got to have some carbs. Hello. You know, I'm not having dairy, and that's the day you go into work, and they brought you coffee and donuts, glory to God, dairy and carbs, and you're like, man, I can't start today. But the, the issue was, right, hey, so the, the issue was you did what? You, 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 you were trying to be extreme, and there wasn't that real motivation. And then there's sometimes, man, somebody just wakes up one day, and they're like, man, I, I just, I, I need to be healthy. Right? It's, 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 it's just I need to be, I need to think more consciously. And, and there's some revelation behind those behaviors that are long lasting. And it's the same exact thing when we're looking at the revelation of Jesus in our lives. So what happens is, last part of that paragraph, we must seek his face with reckless abandon in order that we walk in revelation. And what I mean by this is, look, we need to be those who are seeking him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with everything that is within our lives. So that way we can experience him and we'll be able to walk in the revelation of who Jesus is. And so the big idea that I have this morning is the revelation of Jesus must motivate us to live for his glory. The revelation of Jesus must motivate us to live for his glory. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because when Christ reveals himself, what that does for us is it calls us to live for his glory. Now, the, the, the example that I love to utilize is the, is the example of marriage. And, you know, God, God is, a, is a great God, right? I'm a guy, and, you know, and I've seen, you know, there's, there's, God has created many beautiful women, right, in this place. In my eyes, and I'm not saying this just to earn, earn brownie points. As a matter of fact, my wife is not even in the room for me to say this, so I can't earn them unless she's watching, and I hope she is. Um, but nonetheless, to, in my eyes, the most beautiful of them is Elaine Quinones. And long ago, 20 years ago, I saw her, and, and, and it wasn't like immediate, right? But what happened was, suddenly, my, my, my affinity, my attraction, my drawing became to her and to her alone. I wasn't worried about other women. I wasn't worried about looking in other places. I found something. Therefore, I did what? I devoted myself. I devoted my life. I devoted myself to this relationship because of this revelation, because of me seeing something in her in the relationship with Jesus it has to be the same way on a greater level that the revelation of Christ comes and now you devote yourself unto him 
Now you live your life for his glory. You live your life to honor him. You live your life because of the revelation that's come. Because what is the revelation we're talking about? We're talking about the fact when we think about the revelation of Jesus, it is the revelation of his great love for us that is shown to us in the gospel. It is the revelation that we are all born into sin and we are separated from God. Our sins separate us. We're not cool with God. We're not okay with God. And not only are we born into this sin, but here's the reality. The reality is that we sin against God by choices, by decision, and by desire. And that rebellion causes what? Consequences for our lives. And the consequence is that we are separated from him. There is judgment to come for every lawbreaker. You know, a lot of you like to speed. Hello. I know I see y'all out there. I see you. I'm just kidding. But anyway, I don't see you, but I know you like to speed because, you know, sometimes I like to speed. I have to confess that. And there is a consequence that comes if you get caught. Uh-huh. And so the reality is, if you get caught, there's a consequence because you break the law. If you break any of the laws of the land and you get caught, there are consequences. See, this is what the gospel teaches us. The consequence for our sin is separation from God. Not for a moment, not for an hour. And we talked about purgatory last week. It is not a real place. Hello, somebody. And so the reality is, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once, right? It, it is appointed man once to die, and then the judgment. And so we die, and then we're either going to heaven with God, or we are going to hell away from God, one or the two. And so the gospel shows us that we can do nothing to get ourselves out of that predicament. Are you here? Nothing. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough righteousness. We can't give enough money. We can't do enough good deeds. We can do nothing in order to appease the wrath and judgment of God. And the beauty of the gospel is the revelation of Jesus. God shows us he loves us so much that while we were sinners, he does what? He dies in our place. He comes and he breaks away that, that, that wall of separation and he brings us into a relationship with him. And now because of what Jesus did, not because of how great we are, because of him, we no longer have to fear hell because we put our faith in him. And see, that revelation, now we have a relationship with God. Now we are in tune with him. And so now the beauty of this is that we walk with him in this relationship. We have a new identity. See, see, see now when we sing songs like, you know, the one, and, and I'm listen, I've, I've quoted like three or four times. Obviously, I like the song. But the point is, when we sing songs about us being worth, that, that there's some worth in us. I don't have worth because of me. I have worth because of him. I sing that song and I'm overwhelmed by emotion because what? Because I realize, man, he did not have to. He chose to. He gives his life. And you know what he says? He says, from this moment on, you are no longer a sinner separated from me. You're a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter. You're no longer whatever you used to be, but now you are a new creation. That's what he tells us. Whatever it was that you were, if you are in Christ, you're no longer that. Are you here? See, that is the revelation of Jesus that should motivate us to live for his glory. And his disciples have been walking with him. And then six days after the paragraph that we dealt with last week, as we, as we talked about him telling his disciples to deny or him, him telling his disciples that they had to deny themselves, six days later, he does something. He walks them somewhere. So the first thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, revelation from God, revelation from God. is always, always biblically sound. 
Revelation from God is always biblically sound. And so I say this because whenever you, you feel like you know something about God, it is imperative that you have something to measure what you know about God. Are you here? Well, what I mean by that is we live in a culture. We live in a day and an age where everybody has an opinion about God. Everybody has an opinion. Not only do they have opinions about God, but they have opinion about God's opinions. Hello. The other day, I, was, I, I told you this before, but I was watching a, 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 one of the news channels there, and they were debating homosexuality. They were having a conversation. Pastor Jeffress of uh, um, Dallas Baptist Church, something like that, he was one of the guys that was communicating. And then there was another guy who was, who was a professing Christian, someone who said he believed in the same Bible that Pastor Jeffress believed. But in the conversation, Pastor Jeffress is pointing out a biblical exegesis, right? He's, 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 he's pointing out a biblical breakdown of what the Bible says about homosexuality sexuality what the Bible says it is not that Christians are trying to be mean it's not that God hates it it's you know God hates sin that's what he said and anybody who decides listen to me now anybody who makes himself an enemy listen God is the only one that's able to do this he's able to hate you and love you at the same time he's the only one I can't do that just understand this if you read your Bible you will find there are places plenty of places there that show us that God hates sinners not just sin see and, and I know we've heard this quoted before you know love the sin or love the sinner hate the sin or whatever the case is and then one day I think Pastor Chad or someone yelled out you know Gandhi or I don't know but anyway, here's the thing I don't care who said it it's a good statement right it doesn't matter but the point is God doesn't have to operate by those rules you know why because God is not us God is the only one who can love you and hate you at the exact same moment. For God so loved the world. Guess who the world is? A bunch of sinners that are his enemies. Hello, somebody. For God so loved the world, he gives only son. He perfectly demonstrates love towards those who hate him and are opposed to him and are his enemies. So anyway, the reality is that these two guys are on there on this show, and they're going back and forth about this topic. And this is what happens. You know, the guy that is the, the, the professing Christian, he's the one that gets the last word. He's like, well, that's your God, not my God. So the point is, who's, who's right? Is it the guy who just says, well, you know, I think your God is too harsh. Listen, what does the Bible say about this harsh God? What does the Bible say about him? Because the Bible says that he's holy, says that he's righteous. The Bible says all of these things about God. It communicates all of these things about him very clear, right? Like we know that. This is what the scriptures are there for. So we can look at the revelation of God and say this is what God reveals to us about himself. And anytime I'm feeling something about God or I hear something that may feel like, well, you know, maybe they're right. Hold on a second. Let's go back to the scriptures. And so let's walk into the story here. We look at the story here. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, is it, it should be connected to um, the, 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 pre, the prior chapter. And the reason is because it says, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And so every one of the writers of the Gospels, they, they put this statement right before this next account, which is the transfiguration of Jesus. And so obviously we know that all of these guys have died and the kingdom of God has not come with power yet. So we know that Jesus was not obviously speaking about end times. He was talking about an experience where these guys were going to see the kingdom of God with power, which brings us to six days later. Now look at what it says here. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a a mountain top a mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them now here's what I want you to understand divine revelation is not something that can be forced should never be fabricated but it's something that must be sought and can be provoked now here's what I mean by this 
I cannot make God move. Listen, we can, we can schedule services. We can go ahead and say, hey, you know, we're going to sing songs. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. But you know what I can't do? I cannot guarantee you 100% that God is going to do everything that I want him to do. A year. It's not going to happen. I, I, listen, I can pray for, you know, this to happen or that to happen. I can't guarantee that God is going to do anything other than what he wills to do. That's all I know. And so the reality is, when it comes to re the revelation of God, right, we need to seek that revelation. See, what these guys did is they followed Jesus up this mountain. In other words, they went out of the norm. They went out of the place where they were in order to go with Jesus. And it was on this mountain that they experienced revelation from God. It was in this place that they were, that they experienced him. And so it goes on to say, his clothes became shining. Exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And so Jesus totally changes his appearance in front of these guys. They see Jesus in a light, literally, that they've never seen before, brighter than anything that they could ever experience or know. They've never seen anything like this before. And so he transforms in front of their eyes. They're looking at him. They're overwhelmed by that. And then two figures show up, right? Two guys show up here that are dead and gone a long time ago. This guy by the, by the name of Moses and Elijah. And they're talking with Jesus. And you can just write it down. But Luke chapter 9, verse 31, it shows us what they were talking to Jesus about, which was his death. And so they're having a conversation with Jesus. And then I love this. I love, I love the way the Bible is just so clear, right, on, on just so, so transparent. It says, and Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In verse 6, I love this, because he did not know what to say. And they were greatly afraid. And so, you know, Peter's that guy, right? Peter always has to have something to say, right? So he just tried to fill it. He couldn't just be quiet and be like, wow. Right? He couldn't just say, that is amazing. Like, he couldn't do that. He was like, well, we got to do something. Hey, let's make some tabernacles. Let's make some tents, right? And so, it, you know, it's, it, it, but it, I would be scared too. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would have been scared, right? Like, Jesus, we were just looking at your normal conversation. It would be like Joey, right? Joey just walks in the room, and then all of a sudden he just starts glowing. Right? Be like. Wow. And then two dead guys appear next to him and start having a conversation with him. Be like, oh my goodness. Right? Like that would be, I mean, this is what happened here. This is what occurred. They're walking up the mountain, having a conversation with Jesus. All of a sudden, oh my goodness. And then these two guys, I mean, that's crazy, right? And so this guy, he's having to do what? He's having, he, he's, and you know, Peter, he can't shut up. He's got to say something. He's like, hey, let's make a tabernacle. Let's make, in other words, let's just stay here. Now, that's what he's saying. Like, let's just stay here. And Jesus is like, Oh, my goodness. So what does the father do? I love, I love the father because it's like God gently says, son, be quiet. Right? What do you say? He said in verse 7, the next the, the response is, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. In other words, this is my son. This is the one you need to listen to. The law, not, remember what I said, divine, biblical, uh, all revelation from God must be biblical, got to be, be biblically sound, right? And so here's what happened. Moses represents the law, right? He, he represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. So Elijah and the prophets, the word of God, are affirming who Jesus is, having conversation with him. And then the voice from heaven, the Father, says, this is my son. The law and the prophets have been pointing to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. 
Now remember the Romans, remember, remember, remember Mark is writing to affirm who Jesus is, the divinity of Christ. And so he's affirming this for them so they can know who he is. And so here's the thing that I want to say is that we must seek biblical revelation from God of who he is to build our lives upon the firm foundation of God's truth that we can always return to as we seek to walk by faith. I know that that's a lot, but listen, hear, hear this. We must seek biblical revelation from God of who he is to build our lives upon a firm foundation. This is the firm foundation. Let me say it like this. You and I must come to love this book. Amen. Listen, I know some of us, we don't like to read. And, 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 and I would love to give you a pass. But, you know, I, and I remember having a conversation with Joey. You know, he was one of those didn't like to read. But you know what he did? He got a Bible app. And homie was like way ahead of us on the Bible reading challenge. And he, he was in it. I mean, he was listening to the scriptures. I mean, when I went back and talked to him, he was like, man, I was hearing this. And I was like, and God was doing something in his heart. So listen to me. The point that I'm trying to make is whether you like reading or not is not the point. You have got to love the book because the author of this book is the one that gives us life. The author of this book is the one that does not change. And, and the words in this book are living, they are active, and they are powerful truth. And we need to love this book so that way we can be saturated by the writer of this book. And we can be changed by him. And that way, whenever things get difficult, life gets hard, guess what we're able to do? We're able to come back to the foundation no matter what we're feeling. We're able to come back to the truth no matter what's going on around us. Because, listen, there are going to be moments that we're on the mountaintop, and then there are going to be moments like the next verse here in verse 14, where we're not in the mountaintop, we're in the valley. And so you look at the next thing. Say this with me. Revelation from God, Revelation from God. should produce, should produce. Expectation, in us. expectation in us. Revelation from God should produce expectation in us. And I'm not going to read this for time's sake, but what I want you to realize is as we read these scriptures, hopefully you were paying attention and reading along. But what it says here, it says that Jesus comes down off of the mountain with his disciples. And when he comes down off the mountain with his disciples, he comes and he finds his disciples and the crowds and the scribes are questioning and arguing. And many people believe that they're mocking the disciples. Remember, the scribes, those are the religious guys of that day. And what they're trying to do is always trying to trip Jesus up. Well, they haven't been successful in tripping Jesus up, but they've seen his disciples get tripped up. Because this guy brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples so they could liberate him from this demon and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus walks up on the scene. I love it. It's like that big brother that can beat everybody up. Hello. You know, people picking on you, whatever the case is. You have that big brother. He walks up on the scene. Everybody backs like, oh, I'm going to leave you alone right now. Hello. All right. Jesus, that big brother, right? He walks up on the scene. He's like, what, what, what y'all arguing about? Well, what are you doing to my disciples? Why are you, why are you bothering them? You know, what, what's going on there? And so he asks them the question, and then the father begins to explain this, and he begins to go through this whole thing. And Jesus is like, oh, faithless generation. You can hear the frustration in his heart, right, in his words. He's like, oh, faithless generation, how long must I be with you? How long must I bear with you? In other words, I've been with you all this time, and still you don't get it. And I want you to notice he wasn't rebuking his disciples alone. He was rebuking everybody that was there. He's rebuking the scribes because you're always trying to trip me up. He's rebuking everybody that's, that's around the crowds because they're not believing, right? It's, it, this shouldn't have happened. And so he goes on, he communicates this. And so what we have to realize is that this, this revelation from God should produce expectation. Notice, what did the father do? The father brought his child to the disciples of Jesus. Why? Because of the revelation of Jesus. Because they knew, hey, these guys, they've been going around, casting out demons, healing sick people. Guess what? There's an expectation. 
So I'm going to bring my son that seems to be hopeless to them, and hopefully they can bring deliverance to him. Hopefully they can bring, they, they, they can bring the solution to my son's life. And so they bring him there, and, they, and, and he, he's frustrated. Because what? Because they were not able to cast this demon out. See, as disciples of Jesus, understand this. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. With that power, hear me now, comes authority and certain expectations upon us as ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom. See, we are the ones that are supposed to be walking in the power of God's spirit. Amen? We're supposed to be walking full of the Spirit of God. And as I read this story, there's something that, 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 I, that I just realized. That there is a demon-possessed child here. And, 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 and Jesus walks up on that particular scene. And he's like, look, man, this demon has no place in this kid's life. And what, and, and what I realize in this is that we have, we have to realize, and I don't, I don't know, I mean, I don't, I'm not like a, a guy that there's a demon behind everything. Like, I don't believe that because I think something's just bad behavior. I think some things are definitely sickness. Some things are definitely chemical imbalances and things like that. But what I want you to understand is that you should, and if you don't, you should for sure believe in demons. Are you here? Not worship demons. You should believe that they're real because there is a spiritual force that is opposed to the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of darkness. And But, but, but what I want you to get more than believing in demons is you need to know that if you are a child of God. Now, listen to me. This is so important for you. If you are a child of God, you have authority over those spiritual forces. Not because of you, but because of the Christ who dwells in you, because of the spirit of God who lives in you. We have to recognize this power that's in us. And there's no reason why anybody should walk in demon possession like this. And so Jesus walks on the scene. Now, I remember, I remember a story, and I shared this before, but I remember one of the books I had to read in Bible college, it was, it was um, the Demon Answer book, and it was by Lester Summerall. And for those of you that know, don't know who Lester Summerall is, he was a guy that was known for deliverance ministry. And he, in, in, one, in one of the stories that he tells us in there, there was a girl that was demon-possessed, like in Argentina or something like that, and she was over there, and he's, you know, over here, and he's hearing about the news. She's in some insane asylum and I mean this woman was so demon possessed I mean terribly to where she would like wake up with bite marks on her arm and literally saliva was there and it, and it wasn't her it was in places she couldn't reach herself to do that but this woman was overwhelmed by demon power so he hears the story and he's you know so he goes and he prays and he's like God I pray that you deliver her and he's like go so good right God you do it no he's like you go but God, you don't need me to go. No, you go. I want you to go. And so he gets on a plane obediently, and he goes over there, flies to Argentina. He gets off the plane, and he, he shares something that's so important. Like, it, it's such a, such a powerful revelation. He said he could always tell the difference between somebody when he would walk into, like, insane asylums, when he would walk into um, prisons. He said he could always tell the difference between someone who was demon-possessed and someone who was not demon-possessed, that they just had some kind of issues. He said, because the ones that were demon-possessed, they used to manifest. You see, when you look at this story where Jesus, when you read it there, and it says when, when he saw him, right, it talks about the kid. It looks like it says when the kid saw him, he convulsed, and then he began to, you know, foam at the mouth and all that stuff. What it literally says in the original language is when the spirit saw Jesus. So when the spirit sees Jesus, this kid, you know, experiences that. So anyway, so Lester Summerall, he goes into this place, and when he gets to where this girl is, you know, he goes there, and he begins to, you know, pray for her. He's like, okay, so I'm going to pray for a deliverance. So he's praying for a deliverance, and nothing happens. And he's like, man, what on earth? So he says, okay, you know what? He said, I'm going to go ahead and go away. 
I'm going to go, I'm, I'm go, go away for a day. Give me a day. I'll be back. I'm going to go pray fast, and I'm going to seek the Lord. So the next day he comes back. He prays over the girl. The, the demon go, get, comes out of the girl, and then the demon comes back. And see, the problem was that this girl was, she was there. Remember I said they're like in Argentina, right? The demon was talking to him in English when he was trying to cast it out. When he cast it out, the girl didn't speak English. So he couldn't lead her in faith in Christ. So what he did was he got a translator. The translator came. When the translator came, the translator was like, as soon as he cast this demon out of the girl, translator translates from the gospel. The girl gives her life to Christ. The girl's walking in freedom. Amen. Amen. Now, I share this because what we have to realize is that is the power of God that is accessible to us as children of God. But, but I'm going to say this, and I'm getting ready to wrap up here. As we consider this, the question is, are we really walking in the revelation of Christ? Are we really walking in that devotion and commitment to Christ in order to walk in that power? Because here's the thing. You're not going to live a life where you do everything that the world has to offer you and walk in that kind of power. You're not going to be able to live just like normal and then experience that kind of power in your life. That's just not going to happen. And see, what I realize is that Jesus, let's, let's end this up. Say this with me, this third thing with me. Say the revelation from God, revelation from God. Must, develop must develop our discipline of devotion. Revelation from God must develop our discipline of devotion. What I, what, what I want you to realize here is let's just read really quickly. Let's read from verse 25. It's, um, we'll, we'll go from verse 25, read to the end there. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we do it? They're thinking, now you got to think about this, they are, they're, they're, they're frustrated at this moment. Because they walked with Jesus. They were sent out by Jesus a couple of chapters ago, you remember that? They were casting out demons and everything was all good, healing the sick. And this one child comes to them, and I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't tell them about their faith. That isn't what he says to them. He doesn't tell them there's an issue with their faith. That isn't what he says. He says to them, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. The emphasis is on real consecration and seeking God. And so here's what happens. When you and I have a revelation from Jesus, when we experience that revelation of Christ, you know what it should move us to? It should, it should move us in that, to that place of deeper prayer, deeper devotion to him. It should move us into that place where we are seeking him more passionately, more devotedly, more submittedly. We, it moves us to that place where we are not just trying to, you know, once in a while deny ourselves, right? Or, or, or you know, have that self-denial. But we are denying ourselves constantly, saying, God, I want more of you. Amen? This is what should be happening inside of us. That revelation of Christ should be moving us because the big idea is what? The revelation of Christ should do what? It should motivate us to live for his glory. It should motivate us to live for his glory. And so here is what has to happen for us. We as the disciples of Jesus need to think about this for a moment. His disciples right here, I want you to think about this. In this story, his disciples had only been out of the direct presence of Jesus for a few hours. Are you here? It was only a few hours that they had been out of Jesus' presence, and they're already slacking in prayer. They're already not pursuing God like they ought to. How about us? How about us? 
You think we might slack in prayer a little bit? You think, you, you, you think that we might not be as devoted as we ought to be in prayer, seeking the face of God? Listen, I don't know about you, but when I look at stories like this, I'm like, man, God, I don't want to be a person who creates doubt in the hearts of people. You know, that father, he said something at the end of this conversation with Jesus. He said to Jesus, he said, he says, Jesus, if you can do anything for us, like he's talking to Jesus. And he's saying, if you can do anything for us. And Jesus is, when you read it in, in the original, Jesus is like, if I can do anything for you. He's like insulted. He's like, if you can believe anything is possible. See, we have to be those people that will stand in faith and that are growing in our faith. Because here's the deal. We have to fight for the faith. We have to stand in the faith. We have to continue to grow in the faith. And so the question is, are you living that life that is reflecting the revelation of Jesus? Come on, let's all stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I want you to think about that. Are you living a life that is reflecting Christ? Are you living a life that is reflecting that revelation of Jesus? Or are you not living? You're living substandard. If you're living substandard, if you're not living that life the way that Christ calls you to live. Today, I challenge you. Come forth in your heart before God. Call upon him. Ask him to give you the faith to live for his glory. And if you are, then I challenge you as well. Where is it that God is calling you higher? Because I know for me, as I read these scriptures and as I see these things, I see that he is calling me higher as well in my walk with him. And so let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father God, today, I pray for every one of us in this place. Father God, I pray for those in this place that are struggling, Lord God, in their walk with you, that may not even know you, God, that have not committed to you fully. I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that your love would grip their hearts, that your power would be manifested in them, Lord God, and that you would glorify your name within them in a mighty, mighty way, that they would turn unto you and call upon you, Lord God, and that from this moment forward, that they would walk with you, God. Father God, I pray for us, Lord, that are seeking you, that are trying to live for your glory, God, that are trying to live for your honor and for your namesake, God. I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would show us where it is that we need to walk in greater commitment and greater devotion, God, and give us the faith to respond to you, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.